Valentine's week and you guessed it, Date in a Blink is making a special return for two bonus episodes. In this two-part series, my co-host Elise and I talk with two witches about everything from the history of spellcasting to the ethics of love spells. Love is universal. It's exciting, warm and fuzzy, and can be total bliss. It can also be completely maddening and can drive people to do wild, unpredictable things. Love can feel totally out of our control, yet somehow we still try to control it. But what should our boundaries be? When it comes to making someone fall in love with us, how far is too far? And can the pursuit of love actually backfire? For our second episode, we talked to author, witch, spellcaster, and priestess Diana Rochelle. Diana has published a number of books with her latest titled Hex Twisting, Counter Magic Spells for the Irritated Witch. In addition to writing books and contributing to publications, Diana and her partner run a spiritual services agency to help people overcome spiritual obstacles. In today's interview, Diana discusses the concept of animism, magic as it applies to love, and her perspective on love spells as a professional spellcaster. We hope you enjoy this episode as much as we did. With that being said, let's dive in. So to start us off, in your introduction, Diana, you said that you're an animist. And for those of us who don't know what animism is, could you briefly explain it and how it differs from Wicca and other forms of paganism? So animism is kind of Schrodinger's religion in that it is a religion and not at the same time, because animism is an inherent belief that all things living and not living are connected and have an intelligence to them that, that can be communicated with. That doesn't necessarily mean should, but can. And it in some ways predates Wicca, witchcrafts, and a lot of other pagan practices because it goes back almost to indigenous of indigenous as in like very first people ever period. As far as we know, understand, this is what a lot of the first people believed. And then as they became exposed to other concepts as their cultures and civilizations changed and the need, spiritual needs changed, they started crafting different ways of relating to what it was until we have religions as we know them now, including Wicca, witchcraft, paganism. And someone else would very easily tell you that there's two kinds of paganism. There's ancient paganism and modern paganism. And in some ways, they're not similar at all. Hmm. So animism is kind of the original source code for just about all of it. I love how you took that into like a, a like as a tech founder that that, that was a nice analogy. Um, I have another quick follow up question though. How did you start learning about all of this? So I started off way back when because I used to be a very devout Christian, except that I was finding that when I was going to church, I was feeling the woods had more to say to me than my pastor, and I went to school at a church school. People were kind of semi hoping I would like become a religious writer or a pastor or something. And I started finding stuff on Wicca and witchcraft. And this actually kind of dovetails nicely into the show is about 19 year olds. I realized that I was having some kind of problem where my love life was constantly a mess. (laughs) And, you know, following the rules, being a good girl, I was starting to realize that all of the Christian purity culture rules were not just arbitrary. They seemed really unhealthy And this is before we were allowed to talk about this ain't right here because I'm Gen X. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I was at Barnes Noble with a friend of mine and he decided he wanted to buy a tarot deck because he was Baptist and having his rebellion. And apparently that involved tarot decks for him. And there is this book by Laurie Cabot and she's the official witch of Salem. She's quite famous. 
her way of approaching things is very different from mine, mm. but she is what got me started. And the book Love Magic fell out on me. And so I realized as I was working through the spells in the book, because I was just like trying to, I was just at that phase in my life where I didn't want a partner. I just wanted to not be bored. <laughs> and I was realizing that one, I was getting myself in a lot of trouble, <laughs> but also in the process of getting myself in trouble, I was realizing these methods kind of work. There's something to this. And I ended up doing this huge spiritual deep dive and, I am one of those people where if you commit to a spiritual path, you commit to having the humility to change or recognize that that path is no longer for you, even if you're fully committed. And just like you would to any relationship is, you know, if you're fully committed in a way where you are there for true growth, you may grow apart while doing the honest thing. That's what happened with me and some of these specific religious paths. And so working through that, working out of even Wicca and initiations and things that a lot of people put their whole lives into, which was very shocking within my own religious community, Mm -hmm. but coming into animism with the, no, I need to be at the source code now. And my way of relating to the world, partly because the people that I serve now, because I still um, very much a spiritual community person, but I'm the person who is there for the people who fall Mm. between all of the cracks. They don't just find a fringe home. You know, it's the people that are like coming to the U S afraid of ice and they are afraid to ask for help and services because they're not documented. And so they feel more comfortable going to someone like me because I can't tattle to someone in their community, but I can figure out what they actually need both spiritually and practically. Right. And so it's just, I'm still very connected to the pagan community. People have lots of opinions about me. I think most of them are good. And if they're not, I don't really care. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's, you know, both myself and now my partner. And that's been, was a very odd love story because we both met just as we'd finished divorces. Yeah. Um, Right in February, 2020. (laughs) So like, there was a lot going on there. So thrown into the deep end. Yes. Well, I just decided, oh, this looks like the deep end. (laughs) There I went. And yeah. Awesome. Well, that's really cool. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I I feel like I could ask so many questions. One, just out of my own curiosity, do you think that with animism in comparison, because I think I had a similar, I was also raised a Christian and eventually you just go, and a lot of it had to do with sexuality and relationships and that kind of forced, like, Mm -hmm. this isn't, this doesn't feel right. This isn't what I'm looking for, but it is, but it is very interesting how things you have to kind of walk away and let it go. But I'm curious as if with animism, you found that it was kind of almost more like choose your own adventure style where you're not as dictated by specific regulations of different, or it gave you more room to wiggle or was it just saying that you just follow what calls you and that was, what was it? I, I could say I follow what calls me the thing about animism. And this is something that has applied because I came from a fairly decent Christian tradition where we didn't have dominionism. We had stewardship. So you take care of the earth, you have a relationship with it, you listen to it. And so that wasn't a big conflict for me going into Wicca until I realized that there is some cognitive Mm. dissonance in Wicca around that. Like the agricultural calendar is actually not that great for the earth, the way they do it. Um, But then going into animism, There are different practices of animism, and I gave you some examples Mm -hmm. in some of our emails, um, where they still have specific cultural traditions. I do practice a form of animism that isn't Mm -hmm. culturally attached. However, the laws of physics and the laws of nature absolutely apply. 
So if you're working with animistic energies or an animistic spirit, it's going to do what it's going to do, and you can't make it do what it's not going to do, which means that everything you do, especially if you're working magic and getting these cooperations in, is you, you actually have to have mutual consent from every single thing you work with. Mm-hmm. And it has to go, okay, I can do this for you, but I need this. I need this food. I need this condition. I need you to do this thing to make this area healthier. So like I will work with river spirits a lot and some of the things they want are kind of weird. Um, I had one that just was like, okay, I need you to take someone you're teaching how to work with rivers here so she can see why it's dangerous, which is never a good sign. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And she wanted to do like a more traditional deity centered prayer because she's very much into that mental frame, even though she's trying to work her way out of it. And I'm kind of glad it was me and not her. She's like, I want to go sit on that stump on a chick's two steps forward and fell in a sinkhole. She was not physically strong. She would not have been physically strong enough. She was like tiny lady. Yeah. You know, I've got some muscles. So I was able to crawl out on my own while she was like looking horrified. And I'm like, so this is what you needed to see. <laughs> and that was actually part of the condition of something the river is doing for me. Wow. Right. So usually it's not that extreme. But I am at the phase where you kind of realize you give up safety to learn. I don't recommend it, but I'm stupid (laughs) that way. (laughs) Yeah, I learned by doing, which is kind of a good segue into into the the point of our meeting here today. So I'll I'll break into our next question. Um, So when I was reading some of the literature you passed my way, which we'll, we'll link out to, one snippet said that new animism is typically viewed as a relational ontology Adherents view the universe as a web of relationships within which the individual is less sharply differentiated, more integrated with a broader biological and social system. So I know that this doesn't refer directly to romantic relationships between people, but is there a way that animism can be applied to how we view romantic relationships? And if so, how so? Absolutely, it can. So if you are looking for... If you are in an animistic perspective and you are connected to the universe, the world, let's narrow it down to, okay, because I knew I was talking with Taylor about being urban versus rural and you live in a community. So the partners available to you are going to be part of whatever is in your community. They're going to carry certain values connected from growing up in that community or from values they imported that they are either finding is compatible with where they're living or not. So if you are trying to, so when you are looking for a good partner, I mean, yes, now we use dating apps. Yes, now we use other workarounds, but most of those apps are still based on location and they are still based on certain algorithms that are looking for some kind of matching values. It's just that the matching values are usually way too shallow for us to really know what we're getting into, yeah. right? <laughs> so if you're going to- I want to know which, which value values you don't think are too shallow as, as the builder of a dating app. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> okay, well, well uh, going there. as a polyamorous person dealing with the psychological damage done from the pandemic to begin with, Mm. And I have some very complicated thoughts for a later conversation about the benefits and detriments of cancel mm-hmm. culture and the Me Too movement, because they, it's a double-edged sword. It always is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it comes down to a lot of people have been steered more towards status mm-hmm. matches than towards value matches. Mm-hmm. 
You know, I never heard that phrase before, but you are very, that's spot on. Like eHarmony tries, but then it's really crappy to those of us that are religious minorities, that are poly, because of course that gets judged through purity culture and poly is not the same as cheating. You can cheat in poly and really screw Mm -hmm. up. (laughs) Like there is still a values basis to it as opposed to a rebellion against values, which is a very different thing. Right. Um, And again, this comes down to the community networking because a lot of poly people have to do it solely Mm -hmm. through community. Mm-hmm. And solely through, okay, do we share these values? Do we share these values about consent? Do we share these values about who we interact with the partners? And so, you know, back, because I actually remember when it wasn't considered uh, risky behavior to leave the house without a phone. <laughs> um, I am that old, yes. <laughs> so witchcraft, it does keep you young. <laughs> I highly recommend it. Um, I mean, it may shorten your lifespan, example I just gave, but it does keep you looking right, young. Right. But, you got out of the hole. You're okay. Yeah, there's a reason I was going to the gym. Uh, <laughs> um, it's not a simple answer. What it comes into is you usually find our partners through our social networks. Our social networks used to be churches. Now churches are becoming less popular because churches, some of them I think are wonderful and do wonderful things for communities. Others are extremely poisonous to communities and it's enough of a mixed bag where that may be the only, where the unhealthy help is the only help you get, but it makes it harder to meet prospective partners there, especially if you don't align with the religion. You know, it, it can be through coffee shops, bars, and so on. Bars have the disadvantage of a lot of them are predator places. Coffee shops, most of us are just going there to work and don't want to be bothered. So it's either you go online or you find a mutual interest group mm-hmm. if you are not a church or organized religion person. Those are natural networks. Those are natural habitats. We just don't necessarily think of them that way. So when we're stopping and assessing ourselves going, okay, you know, one, how high is my need to fit in? Because there are people that have low needs. Like I obviously have lower needs or I would not have had the life I have. Um, My social needs are lower. Plus my partners seem to just be cosmically assigned. But for a lot of people, it's more about the, it's either a thing where, they're trying to chase or imitate something that's been presented that is outside their natural ecosystem, either because, you know, boredom is a kind of pain and we want romance to be exciting and something to chase, except that this exciting and something to chase is absolutely not sustainable. Mm-hmm. You want someone that you still find enjoyable when you're bored, but most people are afraid of being bored. Oh, so and that comes down to the, when you're growing, when you're nourishing, how is this person, at, you know, what can be planted with you? Who can be planted with you where it's a symbiotic relationship? Mm-hmm. Right. I feel and like a lot of us have completely forgotten how to even think about it that way. That's true. Animistic perspective. You're like, I'm doing companion gardening in my bucket gardening right now. I could turn the camera around and show you out my window. Um, I'm not sure it's going to be successful this time. So I'm finding out which one's getting fights, but. um, Companion gardening. What is that? Well, so companion planting is kind of an adoption from permaculture. Are you familiar with permaculture Mm -hmm. is? No. Permaculture (laughs) is letting the plants decide what wants to be there or and companion planting so like a lot of North Americans, we know all mm-hmm. the European plants, but we don't know jack about what actually grows here or right. how it works or what medicine it is or anything. There's a big foraging unit, foraging community in the black community that is re-educating everybody about it. Plus, I am very much a follow the indigenous lead person because right. not always, not all of them have their stuff down. Indigenous cultures are not a monolith. 
But if you pay attention, they had the right idea and we need that information before the whole place burns right. down. Right. Um, but companion planting is finding plants that if you plant them together, they mm. help each other grow healthier. Oh. They act as natural mm. pesticide. They give each other better crops. Like I yeah. have some beans and some cucumber growing together and I, I got to planting late and they're already like need poles because they shot up. Like they're so yeah. happy together. But if you take the companion planting approach to relationships, there you, go. <laughs> you know, you know, looking for the cucumber to your bean patch or whatever. <laughs> it is. I love that. So this segues into uh, our next question, just going kind of just relationships in general and, and how people think about getting into them. And I want to talk a little bit about the ethics of love spells. Um, When we first started kind of looking into this, it brought to mind the lengths that people will go to obtain the person they desire, um, whether it's something extreme like violence or something benign like manifesting. And we're wondering if from your perspective, there's an ethical framework that comes to mind when it comes to trying to get someone to fall in love with you. And if there are any repercussions, you know, there are always repercussions. (laughs) Not all of them are bad, but... um... So it's not a one-size-fits-all situation. Now, I mean, when you practice witchcraft as long as I have, and you deal with people that are dealing with being in the cracks of society, you can see why things that most people would label as unethical are absolutely Mm -hmm. necessary. So there was once upon a time where consent did not matter. You needed a husband to survive or you were screwed. Right. There are some people that are still in that situation today. Right. A lot of people. And as much as I don't like it and it makes me uncomfortable and I would, and I do what I can to connect these people to personal empowerment and prosperity magic, I can't rewrite somebody's brain for them. I cannot rewrite their circumstances or the prejudices they deal with every day. Mm-hmm. So I am very good at com- of identifying the source code of systemic oppression, but even I can't always hack it. Right. So there are times where you're going to get somebody whether where you're going to be looking for somebody who is available enough and has what you need. Now, ideally what I do with these people is I don't have them go after a person that's specific. And I've noticed I've very recently, cause I've been doing this long enough, noticed a pattern with my clients that come to me for love magic that actually really concerns me because it's a mental health concern mm-hmm. um, on their part and on the part of the person that they're choosing. Mm-hmm. And I think this comes back from, I think that for those of us that didn't have trauma before the pandemic, that's just over. We are all traumatized now. <laughs> and right. like, I, I, I think it's going to take like a whole new generation of kids before that's repaired. So like, just be aware you're messed up. It's okay. Find a way to love yourself if you can. And you deserve to be happy, whether you feel like you mm-hmm. can love yourself or not. Right. You know, let's, let's go without that judgment. As, of, as you start to, to I'm like, Playing through all the things that as a millennial we've had to live through and the ways that all the trauma we were carrying through to the pandemic and now even more. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm laughing about oh. it, but it's like a dark <laughs> laughter. I still remember the Cold War and then the and then it just felt like I was just stuck in like the worst mm. rerun ever of MASH for a long time. Okay. But anyway, ideally, most people are looking for someone that wants mm. to be with them. Mm-hmm. So like if you're going to get better results instead of just attracting a person randomly or wanting to feel like the hottest person in the bar, Mm. if you're really looking for a partner, then you're looking for someone that wants you that you also want. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And so finding that match using whatever symbols, magnetism, forces of nature align with that. You want someone that wants you that you want. Now, here's the tricky part where I have to bring up the mental health things. This is the thing I see a lot is when somebody is trying to do the, I am targeting mm-hmm. a specific person. Nine times out of 10, there is a relationship already happening there. Love spells are way easier when you at least have a sexual relationship going already. Mm-hmm. The problem is the ones that want to do that, and even I have gotten caught in this trap and at a much higher age than I care to admit, there's usually that person, it's initially lust, but it turns into something where, and I want to pause because I don't have a better way to phrase this in my head. Mm-hmm. I am not a mental health care practitioner. That's my partner. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not qualified mm-hmm. to make diagnoses, but very frequently it comes up that the person they're chasing or the person chasing them is in one of the cluster C Mm. personality disorders. Mm. Like it's almost always somebody who's borderline or a narcissist that they want to do the spell on. And it's a discussion among magic practitioners of what the hell do Mm. we do with these people? (laughs) I was about to ask that question. In in other words. They're only like they are there, like their toxicity is its own kind of magic because it gets in your head. It can, this is the dangerous thing about emotional abusers is they can rewire the way yeah. your brain works. Hmm. And then you do have to see a professional to rewire yourself again. And it right. is very painful. Hmm. And I like, I am dealing with this with multiple clients right now and I'm not qualified to say, uh, Hey, you need, you, I have said you need more help than what I can give you. I can say that mm-hmm. and I can refer them to people. Mm-hmm. And I try to like, I keep a Rolodex of different support and stuff for my state senators for support programs and stuff. Cause that's what I do. Um, but because it is this weird thing where it's just these people have these constant drama cycles that trigger the addiction parts of our brain too. And I'm looking at this going, you don't need a love spell. You need help breaking from an addiction because that's what happens. And again, a lot of the magical support can get you started, but you almost always Mm -hmm. need practical backup. So, you know, if you're going to a witch, make sure you're also going to a doctor Mm -hmm. or be willing to. One does not replace the other. You know, yeah, I will be there for first aid. I can make you a tea to help you sleep, but... If your neurons got rewired because somebody's like, oh, baby, I love you, and then starts a fight, right. and then has you in tears, and then says, oh, I'll make it up to you, and then yeah. starts the cycle over, I can't fix their behavior, or if I do, we're, we're, we're going into some stuff that might not be in the frame of your show. Right, right. No, <laughs> so. that's uh, kind of bleak in its way, because it's such a, I think that addiction piece is, I think a lot of people know what it's like to, I, I kind of, it's the case too. I said this to someone recently. There's, I think in a lot of cases, it just takes the right person to drive you absolutely out of your mind. And you could be totally sane with everybody else. And it's just that right, wrong combination of of them and you, and you will be acting in a way that you never, you will be seeking out love spells and things like that, that are, you know, in other words, or yeah, like the other things, violence or obsessive, I mean, anything. And so it's just not right. And even I have been there. Yeah. 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 No judgment whatsoever. Even I have been there. And even when you know you're not in your right mind, you're still Mm -hmm. doing these things. And it is so hard, especially like, granted, I have one friend who's like the ultimate amoral support. So she's like, you want to do this? I'll help you. 
how, how will you do it? I know this is not healthy, but at least I'm giving you some support to keep you from doing more harm to yourself. Right. And I, I feel like my turn has kind of come around for this um, with another friend of mine, because it is that, that obsessive thing. And it does happen to men too. I don't want to negate that men also deal with abusive relationships and drama and also get tra- trapped by this stuff. And I will say that men are less supported right. in getting support, which is leading to some of the other issues, especially for mm-hmm. hetero couples. Um, I mean, there's a reason those of us in the queer side keep watching like the, the straight TikTok pranking going straight people. Are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> you should not end up eventually hating your partner. That's yeah. that, no. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, before we get, cause this is such a, I think such a relevant and interesting conversation. I could certainly go on about it and listen to you talk about it forever, but we'll kind of segue into um, intention and consent. So talking about intention and consent and how they work together, intention feels Mm -hmm. to me at least kind of a question about our own personal motivation, a deep and raw honesty with ourselves about what we're seeking and why. So and if you have another interpretation of intention, please um, dive in with that. But intention aligns with personal consent, what we want. But as soon as it comes to someone else's consent, it's a different issue. We might have good intentions, but it doesn't mean we can do anything we want with another without another person's consent. So what's your understanding of intention and consent? So if somebody wants to be completely safe and consensual in how they go about it, there is more than one way to approach it. But what I will say is like, if you're breaking down, because I also teach people how to teach effective spells mm-hmm. to make sure they work. Or if they're not going to work, you really know why. Like I'm teaching something at an event called WitchCon in February, where like that is the entire thing is more effective spells because the place where spells go wrong is when you craft the intention, but you forget to design mm-hmm. the impact. Mm-hmm. So intention is wonderful, but without impact, a lot of things can go sideways. So the consent is like, you can work the consent for the other person into the intention is you like always, if you want this to work in a way that is healthy and where you can like look back and be happy, phrase something about, I want a person that wants me Mm -hmm. that has like X qualities and be as shallow and as honest and as shadow self as you want about that you know, whatever that is like, okay, so you do want a partner that makes more money than you. I know you're going to hear bad feminists screaming in the background and that's okay. That could scream in the background. This is what's important to you. No self judgment, or maybe you want somebody who wants to be your cheerleader, but somebody has those qualities. And then what you, what you do with the impact is the impact is how you want it to land, who you want it to land. So what do you want a part? So on the impact side, when you're designing it, what do you want your partner to get out of being with you? Now, if anybody takes you on a date and says, what do you bring to the table? Just walk out, like leave half, whatever, walk the fuck out. But when you're doing, sorry. Um, oh no, I'm laughing because <laughs> yes. Plus one. Um, but in, when you're doing it in private, the person that deserves to find out what you bring to the table will find mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. And so you craft the, okay, you know, this is somebody where, you know, I do want to bring them coffee in bed once in a while, or, you know, I, you know, I enjoy taking care of the holiday cards and making sure grandma gets the kid pictures. Like that's a big role in my relationship right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Just that kind of stuff. And it can be as minute or as big, or this person feels supported and loved by me. And that's it. Mm -hmm. You know, you can make it very general, 
but it's also the, and this is also the way that you can, uh, you know, phase out anybody who's married or in that in-between stage that when you get older, there's a little more tolerance for it. When you're poly, there's a little more tolerance for it. But most people I'm guessing are single and don't want to, are trying to get around the married people that are mm -hmm. not acting right. Right. So you craft out the is available to me at the same time I am available mm. and have that in the impact as well, because no matter who you start dating, you know, even for those of us that are poly, and this is an argument I have in the poly community, because a lot of people have thoughts about hierarchy and so on. And these people clearly do not have children, um, but it is the whoever you date, whoever is connected to that person is impacted by your presence, whether they meet you or not. Because again, animistic connections, everything ripples out in some way. Mm -hmm. So if you're bringing good to that partner, hopefully they're taking that good and bring it to the other people in their life. It is the same where if it is in a hetero, a hetero relationship that is monogamous, it is the, if you're bringing good to that partner, you're bringing good to their family, you're bringing good to their coworkers, you're bringing good to the communities they're connected to, their soccer club, whatever it is. Yeah. So that impact, making sure the impact is compatible with the intent mm -hmm. will help you put together the magic that draws the right person to you. Oh. Mm -hmm. I think that's... So if you're just looking to have fun, then just like put on some perfume with, you know, some kind of DTF <laughs> intent with it. <laughs> have the filters for you to want to put up with and that's all you just remember to keep it short term anything over three weeks you usually got some problems you don't want to have <laughs> i just think it's the very first part thing that you said after elise's question was like i want someone who wants me and i think that even just that portion of the intention like is is so lacking and in, in kind of people searches for romance today it's like i want someone but we're missing that second half of that wants me that's available to me when I'm available to them. Mm. And I think that was a really beautiful totally. way to express it. So yeah. thank you for that. And I guess to ask a, another question of you, do you have any personal experiences or stories to provide an example of either a love spell gone right or wrong? Or if you have both, we'd love to hear both. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I do. I have two really good ones. So way back when I was first beginning my practice, and it was the Lori Cabot Love Magic book. And I was like in a dorm room in Wisconsin and like, I couldn't afford a cauldron or anything. They wouldn't even let us have microwaves at the time. I had to use a damn hot pot. They didn't let you have mic. Okay. Okay. Different like, time. Yeah. Like it was revolutionary when I snuck a TV in. <laughs> uh, like it got better not too long after that, but it was ridiculous. Um, Christian schools there, they get a little weird about all technology. Right. But so no cauldron. Yeah, so in this hot pot, I managed to like sneak an apple in from my school from from the cafeteria, and I managed to get some vanilla stuff. But I made up this little potion. I had nothing to store it in, so I just used a Dr Pepper bottle. And then I didn't think to write on it. I didn't think about where I put it, and I put it in my little fridge that they'd finally let me have, next to the other full of Dr Pepper Dr Pepper bottles. And the way it was works, you were supposed to wear this perfume and go out, and I just was not in the mood. And it was like during Hell Week with the fraternities and. Mm -hmm. Fraternities weren't as obnoxious as they are now. Like some of them were, but there was also a little rebellion movement, like almost a men trying to be healthier, but just not quite doing it at the time. So I was friends with a bunch of men in one of the healthy-ish frats. Like they didn't have an assault rate. That was pretty good. <laughs> um, which is sad. The bar, the bar is hard now. Oh my God, it is so sad. Oh. Um, and I... I knew that like some of my friends were doing it. They knew I didn't really care for frats, but you know, whatever friends could disagree back then. 
And I was watching, I remember watching Eon Flux because it was before they had the, they, before they had words, the cartoon, like, and it's old enough that you're both drawing a blank, like, but I opened up this, uh, but I was like, not thinking about it, grabbed a soda, took a swig and went, wow, that's terrible. But swallowed it. Oh no. Um, you know, now they have more experience to know what it tasted like. So now I know why it worked, but, um, <laughs> and like not 20 minutes later, there's this knock on my door and there's a good friend of mine where in most listless work where, or attraction spells work on people that you already have a little something with. Yeah. So it also follows the path of least resistance. Right. So with me not leaving my room or even opening a window, but within that sphere, because it was a very small campus, a friend of mine shows up shirtless and he was a competitive rollerblader that lifted. So this was kind of nice for a moment. Right. Shows up shirtless, very much wanting to hang out, totally glassy eyed, no idea what happened. <laughs> and this is before there were conversations about consent, but I was just like, this doesn't seem right. Right. So I just like let him like lay down in my bed until like whatever was going on settled down. Cause I'm like, right. this, this doesn't seem right. Um, and you know, the next day I was like, this really weird thing happened. And my roommate <laughs> and her very disapproving boyfriend just bust out laughing because they figured out what happened before I did. Yeah. Because I didn't connect it to swallow oh. your love potion. <laughs> <laughs> Does that make it that part of me is like, did that make it stronger rather than wearing it as a <laughs> I it did. I mean, I was 20-something, so my pheromone signature was pretty loud already. Yeah. And you know, I've got the intense energy and it was a small campus. I guess that. Like it might not work in a more populated environment. Plus right. I'm just less receptive now. Right. You know, like I just, my quality checks are too high. It's really hard to get past right. the these days. <laughs> um, and then the other one is actually how I met my current partners. So I ended up getting divorced from my wife in um, 2020. And so there was this period of time before the divorce where we'd filed for divorce, but where she was gone. And I had a friend, I was very depressed and just not doing well in 2019. And a friend of mine said, you know what, I want you to sit down and write a letter, basically write an ad for your perfect person. Okay. And so I sat down and wrote somebody who's working on themselves and like, you know what, non-binary people are kind of hot. I haven't dated one of them yet. So non-binary, um, you know, Remember 80s David Bowie, Prince, you know, Janelle Monet, he's also damn. Uh, but you get the idea. Right. Uh, but, and just, okay, so I'll open up to this, especially since I've kind of been on a journey with my own being, starting off as a queer straight woman and just landing finally. Um, but, and then just, you know, working on themselves, also spiritual, also kind of off the beaten path, but has had difficult experiences spiritually. And, I published my book, Urban Magic. So it ended up being that my book, Urban Magic, came out in March. And so I was doing a pre-tour mm -hmm. because it's pretty niche. And my business partner and one of my best friends when I was living in San Francisco went, you need to go to Detroit for this convention. I'm like, I just got divorced. You know, my money for doing this just got pulled. And she's like, I'm going to be going to Minneapolis anyway, because that was my home base at the time. She's like, no, you need to be in Detroit. I'm like, all right all right, we'll figure it out. We figured out a way and the money did manage to show up. And I walked into the room because of course nobody knew who the hell I was. And I walked into the, that convention that night and there were these two people that were just, you know, it was obviously the previous pre presenter and someone from the prior class and the presenter hadn't cleaned his stuff up. Mm -hmm. And it was like furs and stuff. It was a lot to clean up. And it was like 20 minutes until I was supposed to be teaching and I was not happy about this. And I was jet lagged and hadn't slept in seven years. 
And so I walk over and say, hey, guys, I'm going to need the room in a few minutes because nobody knew who I was or what the heck was going on. And they were both like, oh, yeah, we'll just finish this. And I just had this feeling and I set my watch and my timer went off because I was just sitting there waiting. And I stood up thinking, I need to be nice. These people don't know me. You know, I've made so many enemies of men over the years of my career by just <sighs> calling them out. Mm-hmm. And I stand up and what comes out of my mouth is, gentlemen, kindly oh. get the fuck out of my room. And they both go, ah! and then like there's this huge scramble and they get out and there's a couple extra minutes because we decided to leave the class because they were like, getting out and both of them came back and apologized. Oh, one of them like was one of them I ran into at a class the next day and asked to sit with me. And that is my heart. <laughs> Um, and the other person was becoming a very good friend of ours. Right. Um, and he and his girlfriend came up because his girlfriend just loves us and wanted to spend her birthday with us. Yeah. Like, you know, like these are people in my life. Like, oh, apparently people from Detroit have a little more humility than right. I've been experiencing elsewhere in the country. Right. And so I flew out the next month because my partner is a, a Finnish and Sami American shaman. So there was some work that they wanted to do with me because of stuff I was going through. And they just finished their divorce. They'd finished a big breakup. And so I flew out in March because we were expecting to go to this other convention in Minneapolis and shelter in place at San Francisco and I couldn't leave. And then two days later it hit Michigan and I couldn't leave there either. And so we're like, I guess we're going to see if this works. <laughs> and we're engaged now and we've bought a house and the kids are, the kids actually kind of enthusiastically embraced me. So <laughs> And the dog thinks I'm her pet, so it's worked out. uh, Not too long after writing the, this is the partner I want, this is what I'm looking for, you know, and it took some shadow work to get in there because a lot of people make the mistake of thinking Mm -hmm. that love will heal them. Love is, you know, and my partner can do this whole lecture on working with emotions as animistic spirits that is pretty complex. Mm -hmm. One of the things I've learned, love doesn't protect you. Love doesn't heal you. Love is just part of you. Mm-hmm. So even if you have these exes that you really love from a million years back, there's nothing wrong with that love still being there and you can still make healthy choices for yourself. For us, yes, love does help give us the energy and strength to deal with things, but love is just love. It doesn't judge even if mm-hmm. someone's bad for you. Mm-hmm. And so having, you know, understanding that those connections are there, good or bad, without judgment, I think it takes a lot of pressure off when you're recovering from the relationships that hurt you. Wow. So our last question, what would be one piece of advice you would give to someone seeking out magic as a means to obtain love? Start smaller than partner hunting. Start with magic that will bring you more fun in your life. Because dating yourself tends to make you a lot more attractive and tends to make it more possible to find things that attract you. Mm-hmm. So wear the attraction oil, but you can like something I do is I have a love oil that I will use with my partner and I go to parties. We aren't partner hunting. We're friend hunting. We're trying to build our social relationship in Kalamazoo. Mm-hmm. And so I will set like, I will have the oil and have my hand saying, find us friends that are healthy for us. You know, find us friends that are compatible, that we will have lots of fun with. And just even doing working. So you're just having more fun Mm -hmm. because that's what we're missing. Cause we put so much judgment on having fun. I should be working. I should be going for this. Well, you know what? You've got so much stuff stacked against you by people that did not get your consent. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. F that, go have fun. If you're worried about the practical things, read The Financial Feminist, figure it out. You know, that's actually really empowering. I recommend it. Um, You know, get that literacy in, but go have fun. It doesn't even have to cost money. And there's so many free ways to have fun or cheap ways. I think that parallels to so much of life, not just like hunting for love, but sometimes we we set our goal at the very top of the ladder instead of saying like, what are the things that I can do that will make it fun to get there along the way and like yes. smaller steps. And so I think that's really beautiful. You know, I, I have been married twice and all of the situations were unusual. They weren't just like throwaway mm-hmm. interrelationships, mm-hmm. but what made what made relationships sustainable long-term was someone that you still enjoyed, someone you still had fun with and someone who was okay with you having fun without them once in a while. Diana, Diana, if anyone would like to get more information, where can they find it? If people are looking for more things from me, my name is Diana Rachel. You can find me at dianarachel.com or at goldenapplemetaphysical.com. And uh, the books that are most associated with me are Urban Magic, A Guide for the City Witch, Next Twist and Counter Magic Spells for the Irritated Witch. And yes, I probably will be writing a book of love spells someday, but it will probably break your brain like everything. <laughs> Another big thanks to Diana Rachel for being a part of this interview. On this Valentine's Day, remember that the chocolate and the flowers and the candlelit dinners are only one tiny element of what love actually is. Hallmark doesn't advertise having fun in the same way it pitches balloons or teddy bears or sweetheart cards. But if what Diana says is true, maybe we'd all benefit from something a little bit less complicated with a little bit more laughter. Thanks again for tuning in to our special episodes of Date in a Blink and Happy Valentine's Day.